Okay, we're recording. Hey, okay, okay. Welcome to Learn Easy Cast, episode six, uh, and we're recording today. It's September thirteenth, and uh, I have my usual guest and co-host Rico Lazo. Hey, Rico. Hey, Pat. How's it going? Ah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, I wanted to um, start off by just talking about what's on my mind, you know, um, usually a usual episode, what's on your mind, open discussion. Uh, as you know, school is starting, at least it's uh, starting here in Germany, uh, where I live in Baden-Württemberg as of tomorrow, uh, Monday the 14th. And uh, some kids are actually going to go directly to school, yeah, at least the ones that are in grade school have to go directly to classes and some are going to be doing this kind of program i don't know how it is in in colorado but in uh freiburg the students from the fifth to the 13th grade you know high, the high school age they will have to split their classes up and and so some kids will go directly to class uh on certain days uh, and other kids will stay at home on other days. Um, is it similar in the U.S. right now? Uh, I, I, know, I know you're in Colorado. Uh, what, what have you heard about it? Yeah, I mean, you know, not working in schools directly, um, I'm a little bit removed, but what I've gathered is that there's a combination of, you know, in-class um, teaching as well as, of course, the online learning. And I think mm -hmm. it's, it's sort of by school district is what I've gathered. Mm -hmm. um, but also parent choice as well, allowing parents to choose either I want my children in school or I do not. I want them to be remote or in some cases, everybody's remote. Um, I'm not sure if it really varies by the age of the student or the other grade level. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it's been a big topic of discussion as to what is the best approach. I think a lot of parents, of course, as well, as well are, are really struggling at times to be able to work and make sure their students are learning, their children are learning. So it's, it's been a very interesting topic of discussion for sure. Yeah, I, I mean, on a personal note, um, my partner here, uh, she's a teacher at the grade school level, uh, which goes from the first grade to the fourth grade. And uh, she's basically been told, you have to go teach, uh, there is no choice. And because of how uh, well, compensated teachers are here in Germany. Uh, this kind of uh, ability that maybe people in the US have to protest and say, hey, as a teacher, I'm not risking my life um, is not even something that is brought up in the same way as uh, you would expect it to be uh, brought up uh, to, to just say, hey, you know, even though I'm not in a quote unquote risk group, it is still quite deadly to get this virus. And so maybe teaching in person uh, makes no sense until there's a vaccine. Uh, unfortunately, if you're a teacher in Germany, they've already checked whether you're in a quote unquote risk group. Uh, and then they've decided uh, that since you're technically not in a risk group that you can teach. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I think here in the United States, things are of course very different. Um, but what I've gathered, you know, working for an educational company, 
is that teachers are really looking for resources on how do you teach in this current um, situation. And I think a lot of the schools and districts aren't necessarily uh, well versed on how to do that. I think this is new for everybody. I think obviously there are some practices that are probably more successful than others and, and some approaches that are more successful than others. But I think it's, you know, in a time of crisis, it's, it's difficult to um, have a cohesive strategy and approach that's going to work for everybody. So I think everybody's kind of scrambling and, and doing the best that they can um, in this current environment. And um, I think it still remains to be seen, uh, you know, what's going to work best for everybody. But I think distance learning is here to stay in some capacity. And I think mm -hmm. to your point, uh, it sounds like in Germany, uh, for the youngest students, it may not, of course, be the most effective. But for older students, it may uh, provide opportunities that, you know, in-class uh, education instruction doesn't allow. So it, it's, uh, we'll have to continue just to see how things work, um, you know, when it comes to teaching um, from distance or in person. Yeah, I agree. I think the, the biggest uh, group that's negatively affected outside of the teachers uh, in terms of adults is are the parents, right? And uh, I saw an interesting article, which I did share on the Learning Easy uh, Facebook page from the New York Times uh, education section, which I, I like to check out once in a while. <laughs> it's one of my favorite sections uh, that gave some recommendations to parents on how to make sure that your child is reaching the learning goals as they study remotely. And, uh, and that's really something that can be a huge concern, right? Your parent, as a parent, you're not sure if you're doing everything that you need to, to make sure that your child is truly uh, improving and, and, and you know, really uh, meeting the levels that uh, your child needs to meet, even though they don't have a teacher evaluating them, that you're the only one. Yeah, and I, I think what I've also read, too, is that, you know, certain communities are going to be more severely impacted, of course, if you don't yeah. have a, a good internet connection at home, if you don't have resources for every child in your home, um, you know, if you don't have somebody who can be at home with the children. So how, how do you manage all of those things as a parent? And I think especially for the youngest children, it's, it's the biggest challenge. I think once your children get older, you know, to adolescence, um, you certainly have more autonomy more ability to take ownership of their own own studying and own learning. But for the youngest, um, I think maybe running the risk of having a generation that's going to be a step behind where they would normally be had it not been for, you know, uh, I mean, well, due to, I should say, uh, the pandemic. Wow. You know? Yeah, that's going to be interesting for me to, to see in the next few weeks and months ahead to see how this uh, remote education, uh, online learning uh, shift will uh, will change uh, uh, generally uh, how how people um, deal with uh, uh, learning in in general for the future but let's let's move on from this topic and I'd like to get into um, our topic of the week um, favorite podcast we listened to uh, in the last couple of weeks uh, and I remember Rico you told me you had a favorite one that you wanted to share with the audience outside yeah, of ours. <laughs> Well, you know, as, as, this, as this podcast is really about learning and, and finding experts that are really great on a variety of topics, um, I've been listening to different podcasts just to learn how to be a better podcaster myself. And the one I found and listened to pretty uh, consistently is How I Built This with Guy Raz, mm -hmm. uh, G-U-Y-R-A-Z, Guy Raz on mm -hmm. NPR. And he basically interviews uh, entrepreneurs who have found success starting and running a business. 
And he really talks to them about their story on how they um, built their businesses, you know, where the idea came from, the challenges they faced. And the most interesting question that he poses to almost every person he interviews is, um, how much did luck play a part in your success and how much did hard work uh, play a part in your success? And almost invariably, people say it's a, it's a combination of the two, that certainly if they weren't in the right place or the right time, they certainly wouldn't have been as successful, but also to their credit that if you work hard, uh, you can achieve a lot of your goals. And so I think he does a great job. I think he's a fantastic interviewer. He asks really tough questions, but he's also really informed. I think he does a great job of being prepared for the interviews and he really, really knows a lot about people's lives so that when he's interviewing them, he can really, really dig deeper. And so that's what I've also learned that, you know, by being prepared and really knowing your interviewee, you can really, really dig deep. And so for anybody who's out there listening, if you've not yet taken the time to listen to how I built this with Guy Raz, uh, do yourself a favor. A lot of the people he interviews, you're gonna be familiar with, if not the, the entrepreneurs themselves, certainly the companies. So companies like Zappos.com, which is a big clothing and shoe uh, website, um, and many, many others. So I, I highly recommend the podcast. Cool, Rico. Uh, that's one of my favorite podcasts as well. And uh, it's a very inspiring one uh, for entrepreneurs like uh, um, myself and you. So uh, for those entrepreneurs, definitely go for it. Yeah. And talking about interviews, we're, we're, we're going to, to kind of move on to our expert corner, experts corner, uh, where we did our first interview with a lovely um, uh, person, um, Vera Mystery, a diversity and inclusion expert that's uh, going to be featured on uh, our site on learneasy.com. Um, and uh, we recorded this interview earlier, so um, I'm going to um, cut to the interview. We're really excited today to have uh, our first guest, Vera Mystery, and I want to take a moment to introduce her before um, we have her say a few words about herself. Uh, Vera Mystery is an intersectional feminist activist and co-founder of Know It, Name It, Love It, an organization that seeks to create better, safer, and more inclusive communities. She completed her master's at the International Institute of Social Studies in Den Haag, The Hague, focusing on gender, human rights, and social justice. Before moving to the Netherlands, she worked in Bangalore, India with Blank Noise, an organization that designs participatory action projects to encourage citizens to take agency to end sexual and gender-based violence and mobilize communities to co-create safe spaces. Uh, welcome, Vera. How are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. Um, Thank you for coming on. I, I, was there anything else you would like to say about yourself so our listeners know more about yourself? Uh, yeah, um, so I, I worked with uh, Blank Noise for about two years, uh, which was very interesting. It came from a space of uh, really moving back to India right after the 2012 gang rape case, which became international news and really trying to figure out um, what what I wanted to do with uh, well my my bachelor's degree and where I was trying to see my uh, activism go, um, and so that was really interesting. I got to work on a lot of campaigns, but also demonstrations as well, and really um, yeah understand 
understand the issues uh, that surround gender-based violence in India, um, whether it, it is within marriage or on the street, and also building on um, personal experiences of, I, I think, the cultural shock of moving back after four years of being in the US. Um, some of my freedoms being taken away, even though uh, just not in, in the sense that my family wouldn't let me do things, but more as being a woman in society, as navigating the public spaces. Uh, yeah, and really coming to terms with that and trying to see what I could do with it. Um, yeah, and then, um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's great, that's great. Yeah, I, I see that that's what kind of pushed you towards this area of, of uh, working um, in the field of diversity and inclusion. Uh, so Vera, like, how, how would you define that for the audience, the listening audience and the uh, audience on YouTube? Um, how, how, how do you, f you know, how would you, you know, um, put a focus on that, you know, um, uh, so that, because it, it, it means different things to different people. And maybe um, with your experience, um, you have come up with a definition that really could help focus others on, on what you want them to think about when you think about diversity. Um, so there's a, there's a great like diversity and inclusion activist uh, and speaker, Verna Myers, and she, she says um, that diversity is being invited to the party, inclusion is being asked to dance. Oh, so, and I think that is uh, a really good way of putting it that while, you know, we're getting more, it's, the world is far more globalized in some ways and uh, we are having more people uh, and diverse um, companies uh, real inclusion actually means uh, uh, are we allowing everyone's voices to be heard? So while you can have diversity, you may not have inclusion. Interesting. So it's not just about having a diverse workforce, but really like uh, making everyone feel that their voices are represented and, and not just within maybe meetings, but also the infrastructure of the, of the company. Um, how many managers are people of color? How many managers are women? How many managers uh, belong to the LGBTQ community? Um, so uh, yeah, it, it's really about, are we really making people recognized? Are we really helping people feel safe within the environments that they're working in? Um, yeah, so that that's, I think, a, a very good distinction between when we talk about what is diversity and what what is inclusion? And how do we actually move from diversity to inclusion exactly uh, the next level yeah yeah the next level yeah yeah, yeah and that's, that's sort of my next question so if we talk about the benefits and the importance how do you actually go about implementing that in the workforce or in the professional setting because you mentioned you know of course we want to have a diverse workforce and we want to have that inclusion but what does that actually look like on a day-to-day -day basis how, how do you make that happen or how can you encourage companies to understand it and then implement um yeah, uh, well, um, I think it, it does it does begin with with recognizing that companies need to do more. Um, and I can go on about that. I mean, there are many statistics that say, you know, there's a certain percentage increase in this if you have a diversity, if you have a diverse workforce. But um, on many levels, I think it comes down to not just interpersonal relationships, but also the infrastructure and the policies that companies hold. So it could be just the physical infrastructure of the building. Are we having gender neutral bathrooms? Are we having accessibility for people with disabilities? Um, and then you're, it's seen also in the way your 
yeah, your board, your executive board runs, how many people are being able to reach that space. Uh, but also, how do you handle issues of microaggressions or stereotypes or like assumptions in, within the workspace and not being really uh, defensive about it, but actively trying to unlearn it and encouraging people to, to not take the de defense at that point. Um, because at the end of the day, we all also don't know everything. Um, but it's, you know, and I think in, in especially today with, um, with the Black Lives Matter movements, you are seeing not just saying, oh, I'm not racist, but really how, do, how are companies being anti-racist? What are the exactly. policies um, that we are implementing? And you mentioned the term microaggression, and I think that's something that um, a lot of people understand. But for our audience, for people who don't understand that term microaggression, can you give maybe an example or two, just so people are, are kind of aware of that term and, and be aware of that concept? I think it's an important concept for people to, to take away and really reflect on. Um, so a, a microaggression is, is just, it's based, I think, on your own knowledge of a space that could be limited uh, and it can come from a space of ignorance and it could be, it's uh, benevolent, I would say, you know, it's not, and people do it and not mean it in a bad way. But um, I think it's, it's about, well, you know, I've been in spaces where people have said, oh, you know, uh, I really love curry. Uh, yes. So it could even for them it could be, it could be a compliment in a sense, but but yeah. it's actually uh, somehow a backwards compliment, and and so it's 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 uh, so that's why you might consider it to be micro. It's not, it's not meant to hurt. Yeah, um, it's not meant to hurt. It's uh, you know, um, I I remember a friend telling me that that he uh, she she was with the they were of a group of Filipinos uh, that were sitting and eating lunch, and this guy came up with them and was like made a comment about, oh my God, rice, 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 oh, wow. you know? Yeah. And you don't know how to react because it's, it's, and this, and this person obviously did not recognize how that was offensive. It's true. It's true. Because uh, for them, they thought it was just part of uh, uh, an observation yeah. with, with no malice intended. Interesting. Exactly. Um, uh, this is good. It's good. Well, okay. So this is interesting for me because these types of topics to bring them out into the forefront is what your course will be about, right? Um, so, yeah. so what, what, what kind of, of topics outside of these microaggressions, like trying to make people aware of these microaggressions, what other types of um, topics will you cover in your course? Um, so I think it would, it would uh, my courses will like begin with really defining the concepts. So okay. I think that's where we will start. Uh, mm -hmm. What is racism? What is sexism? Homophobia? Uh, even just like, what is the difference between race and ethnicity? Uh, oh, okay. they, yeah, uh, because I think um, recognizing or being able to identify those kind of also helps you understand how your position with the company is viewed and how you view things within your company. So uh, it would mean I, we, we have a term intersectionality, which uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with, but it's, it was coined uh, by Kimberly Crenshaw, who's a lawyer in the US okay. uh, in the 1980s. And it really looked to um, see how our identities kind of uh, merge together to either you know, perpetuate uh, oppression or oh, how certain bodies are more oppressed than others, 
depending on um, their different identities. So if this would be your sexual orientation, your gender expression, your race, religion, um, yeah, um, uh, education level, nationality, and how they all interplay to like really kind of um, privilege or underprivilege you and your experiences in this world. Wow, that's um, that sounds like a massive course list <laughs> for 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 our audience. I'm I'm sure they're they're really they'll be really excited to to work with you. Um, yeah. Anything else, Rick, Rico? Yeah. Yeah. So I just wanted to ask, like, the length of the course is this going to be a, a series, and, and and how do you go? How how do you how are you thinking about you know offering this course? Is this a, an in person? I know obviously with the pandemic, there's probably a lot of virtual work happening. But what is sort of like the, the you know the 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 hope for your course and how you go about uh, you know offering the course? Um. So my hope is, and I'm still uh, I'm still like working out the details because. There is so much you can actually pack into it. Yes. Um, but ideally, I would say it would be around six to seven classes is okay. what I'm aiming at. That would take you from why do we need diversity and inclusion through the key concepts, looking at intersectionality, then also talking about like, how do you make your company safer? What is, anti, what is an anti-racist policy? Uh, how do we involve like more inclusive communication? The words that we use, the way that not just the power, understanding our power within our relationships as well, when you interact with other people. Um, as a white straight man, you might have, you do have more power in like a company setting than a woman of color or uh, a woman who is queer, you know? Um, so uh, understanding that and how do you have inclusive communication? Um, and then also um, how do you, yeah, how do you make your the building that or just the infrastructure more inclusive in that sense? Uh, and then maybe going into a little bit of bystander training. So um, understanding what to do in a situation when you see harassment, mm -hmm. really understanding uh, is are the policies that your company have uh, in line with um, the work that you're trying to do? How do you change those policies? Do your do people how, how often do reports come in? Or, uh, you know, really, uh, yeah, how do you educate your, even the employees in your company to, to recognize that kind of discrimination and step in? Um, Wonderful. Yeah, it sounds like a, a lovely uh, primer for the HR department of most companies. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I'm, I'm assuming you'll be giving also um, individual online um, tutorials if, if necessary for HR executives, if, if they require it right yeah uh I mean, I mean that was uh kind of my hope uh with yeah. this was uh i while i've done workshops in the past a two-hour workshop can only do so much um mm -hmm. and i think that has its limitations but uh working one-on-one -on -one with someone to really understand what the needs of their company is and being able to build on that so really Great. trying to I think it would first be trying to really understand what are the what do they think are the challenges within their company. Yeah, so um, you, you're taking a consultative approach to the work, which is a, a yeah excellent way to to go about it. All right, but yeah, anything else, Rico? I think we've we've covered yeah, all I, our I, questions. I just want to say that Vera, I mean, I, I think your work yeah. is much needed. Yeah, um, I, we're very happy to have you on. And um, how can others who are listening learn more about your work, and how can they get in touch with you if they want to reach out to you? 
Um, so right now our website is um, being rebuilt. I'm yep. actually in the process of kind of changing it up a little bit. We've had to rearrange our organizational structure as well, uh, given COVID. Um, but I have um, my email address, which would be a great place, uh, which is knowitnameitloveit at gmail.com. Mm -hmm. um, or my personal address would also be, be perfect. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And, yeah. and I just want to mention a little plug for Learn Easy that Vio will offer some of her services as a partner through Learn Easy um, that will come when um, the course uh, syllabus is completed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. Thanks, Vera. Thank uh, great. Yeah, thank you very much for Thanks coming on. For really me. great to learn about your work and to learn that, you know, this is much needed uh, content that hopefully, um, you know, others will really take to and, and, and implement in their professional and personal lives. Yeah, it was uh, really great to speak with Vera. Um, I think she brought a lot of interesting topics uh, to the forefront and, and introduced a lot of vocabulary and, and, and different uh, issues that people may not be aware of. And that's really, I think, what we're trying to do here at Learn Easy is really bring awareness to a lot of topics and introduce experts so that you can learn about a variety of different issues and, and, and interests that you may have or things you weren't even familiar with. And so I, I really enjoyed uh, our time interviewing Vera. Great, great. I'm glad to hear that, uh, Rico. And I, I wanted to just uh, point out one word, uh, words of the podcast uh, uh, that came up during the interview. Uh, she mentioned something called microaggression. Uh, and um, I wanted to give the definition now, just quickly. So it's a comment or action that suddenly, often un consciously or unintentionally expresses a prejudice attitude, uh, prejudiced, prejudiced attitude toward a member of a marginalized group, such as a racial minority. And as an example from the Webster's uh, Marion Dictionary, um, uh, this example starts as like this, uh, a digital photo project run by Fordham University student about racial microaggressions uh, features minority students holding up signs with comments like, you're really pretty for a dark-skinned girl. Uh, and that, that came from uh, uh, a quote from Jeannie um, Spiegler. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, that, that was a great example of that. And, and we have to be careful of these little uh, microaggressions. And, and to learn more about that, uh, I will link to an NPR article uh, uh, that talks about microaggressions are a big deal, how to talk uh, them out and when to talk, or, uh, I'm sorry, and when to walk away. <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, I think that'll be it for us, Rico. Anything else uh, for our audience this week? Uh, or I guess this month, because we sometimes take a little while to get the videos out and, <laughs> and the podcast. Well, I would just say that, of course, you know, with uh, all that's going on, the pandemic, uh, the global, global pandemic, of course, the uh, fires that are burning in the United States, the election, uh, presidential election coming up in the United States. There's a lot of topics to discuss, so please tune in to our next episode uh, in which we'll be discussing some of those topics. But again, Patrick, great interview with uh, Vera this week yep. and uh, looking forward to our next episode. Awesome. All right. Keep learning easy. Ciao. Bye. Bye-bye.